listening to Make Your Way, Season 3, Episode 2. Welcome to Make Your Way, where we explore what it means to work and create on your own terms. Along with every episode, we post show notes with links to resources mentioned in the episode and a full transcript. You can find these materials at katielinder.work slash podcasts. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Katie. How are you? I am good. I am like, I just can't get over my excitement about this season and what we're talking about. <laughs> so I'm really psyched today um, to dive into this episode's topic. Yeah. It's, so today we're going to be talking a little bit about the idea of content content design. So in the last episode, we talked a lot about picking a topic and uh, how you decide what you're going to make a thing about. Um, and then in this episode, we want to dive into a little bit more of the more detailed questions about what makes up the thing, what goes into the thing once you've decided to make a thing. So uh, Katie, I want to ask you a little bit, a bit about, um, you know, for your product that you're working on, uh, how did you kind of go about making those decisions about what what is this thing going to look like and what's going to go in it in terms of content? So there are so many different ways I could answer this question. So I'm just going to try <laughs> to think about it. Um, well, I think one one way to think about it is, so this Sotal by Design course that I'm creating I had actually been giving some of the content as a live, like three hour workshop um, when I would go to different campuses. And so I had a little bit of a sense of some of the like the bigger topics and issues that I wanted to cover. And I actually had like a um, kind of a workbook style. I hesitate to call it that because it, it was basically a Word document of different like prompts and things to kind of walk people through. It wasn't designed very aesthetically. But it had kind of a step-by-step process to kind of walk people through. And I would give them this thing and we would work through it over a two to three hour session. Um, and so I basically started with that. That was like the skeleton of like, okay, I know I need to ask these kinds of questions. But that document, which is, I don't know, maybe seven or eight pages, got morphed into a 99-page workbook. So, um, right. So I, I definitely broke it down into way more detail um but i i started with a skeleton sketch and i think that the way that i always approach this stuff and i know we can we can kind of dive deeper into this to whatever degree we want is through the perspective of course design so even if i'm not creating a course i typically think about things like goals and objectives i do a backward design model where i'm like if on the other end this is what they need to have then what do i need to walk them through in order to get there so um but it's it's also something where I usually go through a lot of iterations and think about, especially when I'm trying to chunk it, I could do it this way, I could do it that way. And I do a lot of like, you know, like outlining to kind of see what's the best way, I think, to deliver the content um, before I like land on something that I, is more solidified in terms of actually mm-hmm. starting the build. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when you're going about building uh, your kind of goals and objectives and and really thinking about that outlining process, um, what does that look like functionally for you? Like, are you pulling out Word documents? Are there tools that you use um, to kind of get all your ideas out there and kind of move them around and organize them? Just curious, what does that look like functionally? So um, what it looked like for this particular course was actually really different than what I've done in the past. And (laughs) And what happened was, um, and I've talked about this in a couple other places, like on my other podcast. So I knew I wanted to design this thing. And I started kind of talking with a couple of people about it because I wanted to kind of just get some like initial like audience 
thoughts about like, are they interested? You know, is this something I should do? You know, that kind of thing. So I talked with a couple people that I that I trust um, that I thought, you know, might actually want to buy it. And they were like, yeah, we want you to have this thing right now. Like, we're ready to buy it. And I was like, hmm. oh, OK, well, let me start thinking about like what it would actually take to create this thing. And I actually um, as part of my coaching training, we go through these demo coaching situations. And I, I had this situation where I was basically coached in front of a group about this course because I, I wanted to think about whether or not I wanted to move forward with it. So I had this coaching experience. And the action item that came out of that coaching experience was to actually outline the course so that I could get a sense of like the size, the scale, like how big of a monster was this thing that I was going to be creating. And also I wanted to get a sense of what aspects of it did I feel very confident about that I could like write video scripts for kind of off the top of my head? And what were Mm. other areas of the course where I was going to have to do a little bit of research or it was going to take, you know, a little more time to kind of think about how to do it. So, um, with that in mind, what I ended up doing was actually going into Canva, which I know we've talked about um, in other episodes, and I found a template that would allow me to kind of just do a numbered list, but in a little mm. bit more of a stylized way. And I broke out the list um, by topics, and originally there were six, and it was like, you know, IRB was like number one, and there was another one on like research design and methods, um, and there was another one on uh, data, you know, like how do you deal with your data and store your data and things like that. So I kind of outlined that, and I started with those six things, and then I wrote short descriptions of like what would be included in each of the areas, and I did this hmm. a little bit with the skeleton that I that I kind of had from the beginning, and then I realized as I was doing that that I needed to add a seventh area, which was about dissemination and promotion. Once you have the results, like how do you actually talk to people about them? So I ended up adding a seventh module. And then what I did, and this is so arbitrary, so let me just be like super clear about that. (laughs) I I took that list and I made a copy of it and then I relabeled it with the title of the first module. So, and I actually did that before I added the seventh module. So there were six things, like six areas Mm -hmm. to fill basically on that new list. And I created six like sub lessons in the first module. So I was like, okay, I'll do like a six by six design. So there'll be six modules Mm -hmm. and each of them will have like six sub lessons. And then I added the seventh one. So then it became a seven by six design. So I, 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 that is, that was an arbitrary decision. I was like, oh, well, I have six slots. So why don't I just try to fill them? And I'm one of those people who's like super type A. So it's like, if one thing has six, everything else has to have six. (laughs) So, so that happened. Um, And then I, so I basically, that was the outline was, was doing that. I actually started more topically and then Mm. I circled back to say, okay, if I was going to like chunk this, what would be my goals and what would be my objectives? And that ended up serving as a way for me to align those topics with my goals and objectives because I kind of stepped back and I said, okay, Mm -hmm. here's the goals and objectives. Do I feel like all of these are covered? And then, okay, so here's the other crazy thing I did. Um, And we can show examples of this in the the show notes if it's useful for people. So then I made a one pager goals and objective document and there's four goals for the course and each of them have like many, many sub objectives. And I color coded that so that I could make sure because each of the modules, of course, are color coded. I mean, if you know anything about me, like this is not a surprise <laughs> to you. Um, and I, co- I color coded the goals document and the objectives document so that you can see in each module what are the things that are being covered for the entire mm-hmm. course in that module. And it allowed me to kind of, again, align and make sure I was covering all the things I wanted to cover. 
Now, the cool thing about that is all of those, the, the, the bigger kind of schedule document of like all the seven modules and describing what they are, the um, individual module documents that describe the six parts, and then the goals and objective documents that are color coded, kind of talking about what's covered in each module, all of that goes into the workbook that I'm creating for the course. And it's also visuals that could be used in the course itself. If I wanted to like embed a JPEG image into the course, it also makes it really easy for me to start doing slide design because I know like how all the information is chunked and where exactly everything is going to go. So, and, and then the last thing I would say, and not to get too far um, into the later part of the season where we're going to talk about aesthetic design and branding is it gave me a launching pad for the design of the actual mm-hmm. workbook and how I was going to um, actually brand the course. It, it started me kind of thinking about that. So that was, and and I would say that goals and objectives piece, I did that in, a, in an evening, like in Canva, mm. working in Canva. It probably took me two to three hours to get all of those like sections, like the topical part done. And then I circled back later and did the goals and objectives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I think you raise a great point here about, um, and as you said, we'll talk about it later in the season, this aesthetic design piece. Um, I don't know where I would be without Canva. Like, right. I would not be selling a oh product. Oh my God. Like, honestly, it's amazing. If you, were, if you were not like a graphic designer, Canva is amazing. Like for those of you who have graphic design skills, awesome, more power to you. But for those of us who are like, I don't know how to make a pretty thing, <laughs> Canva is a lifesaver. Well, so, we're definitely going to plug talk. for Canva. Yeah, we're going to talk about that for sure because um, it's especially in terms of this workbook that I've been creating, it's been a lifesaver. Um, yeah. So, yeah. but I'm curious, Sarah, because for me, this is really about in some like, of course, I always think about audience and like what people need, and that's really what goals and objectives are. You know, like what do I need to impart? Um, but I also feel like a lot of my design of content and thinking about what goes into something is me trying to value a process hmm. without necessarily thinking about the audience in terms of like, I don't really care if the process is going to take you 25 hours. I'm going to do the process <laughs> in the way that the process deserves. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't always think about it from an audience perspective, but something tells me that you do <laughs> just because I know the <laughs> ways that we think about this and and also because you talked about in in episode one about really focusing on audience needs so mm-hmm. talk about your decision making around content like how are you deciding what goes into the thing that you're building yeah yeah so uh just to remind people um what i am building is a much smaller thing than what katie is building uh so i'm building a, a toolkit is what we're calling it um and so it's basically uh, three different videos and um, some related discussion questions and handouts to kind of extend learning as well as some uh, scenarios that people can then kind of take and practice with. Um, and so for me, when I was thinking about what goes into this, um, a lot of it was focused on how do how do, how does this audience that I'm trying to reach, how do they learn and um, <clears throat> what's going to be the best way to reach them where they are? So um, one of the things in sort of the early childhood world, but I would argue across a lot of professional development spheres, um, kind of regardless, is this framing of, you know, the, whether it's the hour long webinar, or whether it's, you know, the day long presentation and training and all of those kinds of things. And those things have immense value. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to undercut those at all. But there are other ways for people to learn that are much shorter. Um, 
that can be kind of, you can kind of take and run with more quickly. Um, and as somebody who learns more uh, the latter, in the, in the latter style, um, where I like to, um, if I have a question about something, I type it into Google and kind of whatever YouTube video pops up, that's, that's where I start down the rabbit hole, right? I start with the three minute explanation on, okay, here's this, this thing or this topic. Okay, now, now how do I learn more? Um, and I know I'm not alone in learning that way. And so I'm much less likely to, um, to purchase a full course, especially if I know it's going to take me 20 hours. <laughs> Um, but I'm, I'm more likely to just sort of a little bit more of the fly by the seat of my pants, but, but really kind of wanting to craft my learning in, um, in the way that makes sense for me, as opposed to the way that somebody else has decided makes sense. So I'm a little bit more of a rebel, I guess that way. <laughs> um, and so when I was thinking about how, how Tracy and I, my colleague, were going to design this, um, this toolkit, I wanted it to be really bite-sized and really easy to, um, to digest, not especially long, um, but provide a lot of really valuable information in a very compact um, time frame and a very compact uh, format. And so when, when thinking about videos, and we'll talk more about video creation later uh, in the season, because Katie and I approach videos, I think, very differently. Mm -hmm. for, for me, the video was it sort of is the gem of the toolkit because the video is, is a role play example of how uh, an early care provider can interact with a child who is um, expressing some challenging behaviors, whether it's acting out, whether it's being defiant, or um, whether they're shutting down completely. And throughout the course of this five to seven minute video, it walks through some very basics about why we think from the research literature, trauma and stress uh, affect the way that children respond to different kinds of transitions or different kinds of experiences that they have in the, in the early care environment. And then it shows Tracy, my colleague, do an actual back and forth interaction um, with, a, with a child and what that interaction looks like and how she approaches it to try to redirect behavior and try to uh, adjust behavior. And then how she takes a preventative approach to, uh, to really kind of come at it from a different perspective. And so all of that is packed into a five to seven minute video. Now, I would argue that there are a lot of places out there that cover that same kind of content, but would do so in an hour and a half or, you know, several modules or that sort of thing. Hmm. So for me, the piece is, okay, this is the video. And now the other content that we provide is the extension of that video. So we have a handout for each one of these different kinds of behaviors that kind of walks through, okay, what's happening in this scenario? What's happening to you as the adult? How is this being internalized by you in your body? What is the action of the child telling you or communicating to you? What are some actual words that you can use in the moment when you are exp um, experiencing this with a child? Those kinds of really practical, tangible things that maybe weren't shown in the video, but that are an extra step or an extra extension of the learning. And so we have discussion questions, same kind of thing, where you get to kind of delve into that content um, of the video in a more deep way. And so for, for me, as I was thinking about how are we gonna design this, it was really focused on the video being the thing. Um, and then from there, as people wanna, they, they can kind of guide their own learning and take it in a direction that they want to, 
based on um, based on what they want or what they need. You know, a lot of people who we're working with um, have this experience and know how to deal with it, but maybe they are less good at dealing with shutdown behaviors than they are with acting out behaviors. And so when we target and kind of zone in on a particular type of behavior, we can give slightly different strategies and slightly different approaches that maybe people hadn't considered before. So we're really looking at this as, as an extension of existing um, knowledge on the, the part of our care providers. A lot of care providers know about this stuff already. They've seen a zillion presentations and webinars about stress and trauma and, and the adverse uh, early childhood experiences and what that means for brain development. But what they need are these practical strategies that they can take and use right away. And so that really shaped how and what we included in this um, because we wanted the content not to be you know, high level research focus, but to really be okay in the moment, here's what you do, because th those are the questions we were getting a lot. And that's really the need that's out there. So when it comes to your content design, what came first, the medium or the actual content? Because the video seems so central. Yeah. Um, so the videos were sort of the approach um, that we always kind of knew we wanted to use. Okay. So I, for the, for new listeners to the podcast, I um, have been doing YouTube videos on my YouTube channel for several years now. Um, and, and I'm really focused on this sort of educational content um, in short bite-sized videos. That's a, a skill that I have developed over the last several years. And so I wanted to bring that to this, uh, to this particular audience because it's something that, that isn't as prevalent um in in those spheres that's that's not something that people do a lot of um in in terms of how to teach people things <laughs> so um so i wanted to i knew that that was sort of the central piece that i could add that would be really really valuable so we knew we wanted to do video and then it was through a series of conversations with tracy my colleague where we kind of unpacked and said you know a lot of what people want to know is they want to see it they want to say okay what does this actually look like? How does this strategy work in action? I want to see somebody use it and what happens. And so we decided to um, script out these three different videos, um, three different role play examples of these different kinds of behaviors. Uh, in the future, we want to do more of them. But um, we decided on these three more common ones to start with uh, as sort of the base foundation for the for the toolkit. So it was really the mode was an important part of figuring out what this was going to look like um, more than the content. But I would say that it was sort of merging and a marriage of the two because the content, um, we, we knew what people were looking for and what people really, really need when they're, um, when they're facing these issues. They want to know immediate strategies. How do I do this in the moment? Those kinds of things. And that that didn't, didn't exist anywhere, to our knowledge at least, um, in terms of a, a short video role play example that you could then take and unpack in the ways that we're, we're proposing. So I think you're pointing out a really interesting thing here. When you're creating a thing and we're trying to think about the content, usually you're creating a thing because you see some kind of gap. And mm -hmm. it may be that the gap exists because it's really hard to create the thing. Yeah. You know, like it's like logistically difficult for some reason yep. to kind of create whatever it is you're creating. And I feel like one of the things you're kind of alluding to is this idea of, well, two things that I think are interesting to think about. One is like in an ideal world, what could you give your audience? You know, like mm -hmm. that's something I always start with is like, how cool can I make this thing? You know, like that's right. what I get excited about. That's what I'm like. And, and in my case, it's like I know my audience wants to see sample IRB proposals. 
Like that's what they're going to want to see. You know, they're going to want to say, <laughs> yep. what, what, what does my consent document look like? What is my, you know, like protocol look like? So I'm like immediately knowing that's going to be part of the course. Now, do I want to mm -hmm. write 15 different IRB proposal samples? No. Like, so I got to think about like, how do I do that? How do I show them mm -hmm. a range of different examples in the ways that they can see it? Um, but the other idea that I feel like you've brought up is this idea of a minimum viable product. Mm. So once you've done the kind of pie in the sky, what would be amazing to like give to my audience if I had all the time in the world and all the resources, like what can I do? Then you can kind of scale it back to say, what is the product that I'm still going to be super proud of? I can still charge for it, but it's not going to be maybe all the things. Like you said, maybe mm -hmm. in the future, you're going to build out more of this, but you're not waiting to have all of that before you're launching the initial thing. Right, right. So this is like your Don't minimum viable product. perfection get in the way of doing the good thing or whatever the phrase yeah, is. Yeah, like <laughs> perfection is the enemy of the good. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think that's really interesting. Like, and, and that's another kind of decision making that has to happen with the content design is what do you consider to be the minimum viable product that's still going to be useful to people, even if it's not like in the full context of the vision that you have mm -hmm. for this mm -hmm. thing and what it could be? Right, right. That's a great point because, um, yeah, I think this is a small piece of what we eventually want to grow into. Um, but we also know that for the, the type of stuff that we're building, it has to be informed a lot by our audience because we don't necessarily know all the questions that people have. And so we want people, we want to get reactions to this stuff that we put out before we build the next thing. Um, because that will really inform what kinds of, you know, what behaviors we focus on next in our next set of role play videos, or if we change the handouts a little bit, or, you know, maybe ditch the discussion questions and go a different direction instead. You know, we want to be constantly learning from our audience as we're building this, but there is a long-term vision for this being kind of a multifaceted, um, you know, multi kind of mode kind of learning thing that we create. Um, and we don't know exactly what that looks like, but but we want to move in that direction. And so we're constantly trying to figure out how do we build a thing that's useful, as you're saying, the minimum viable product, while also leaving ourselves open to be uh, learning from the process as we as we go. Okay, so one of my happy places is chunking content. Um, I don't know <laughs> what that says about me, but I love it. I love trying to figure that's out awesome. yeah, how to package things, um, how to kind of present them in a way that makes sense to people. And so I'm really curious because you've got like these handouts, you've got the videos, like you're creating these different um, discussion guides and things. How are you deciding what goes where? And is there any kind of structure that you've created where it's like, like, like I'm trying to think of like for your handouts, because I've, I've gotten kind of a preview of them. We were showing each other some of these materials. Like you've like given things different headings and, you know, like you're, mm -hmm. you're kind of chunking it out in different ways. How are you deciding to do that? And and is it dependent on the medium? Like, talk a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I think a lot of that was was really informed by Tracy and her expertise. Um, because she's more kind of connected to this world uh, on a day-to-day -day basis and works with early care providers and with little kids, um, she knows a lot more about what are the questions and really what are the main things you know, if you have five minutes to talk to somebody about this, what are the things that you want to get in in those five minutes? Um, and so we kind of view the handouts in a similar way. Like if you had, you know, five minutes to talk about acting out behaviors, here are the main messages you'd want to get across. And so she kind of 
um, created these little kind of buckets of different aspects of, of what we would want people to know and, um, and then kind of bullet pointed things out. And then I edited that and um, pulled it into Canva to kind of design it in a way that like the front of the handout, the part you see initially gets the really central features across. Um, there's, I think, three or four different headings in there, and they're kind of batched out in different ways and, and graphically laid out in a way that your eye kind of um, flows naturally, but also it pulls you to different areas of the handout to kind of draw your attention to different features. And then on the back is sort of the, the slightly less crucial information, but information we'd still want to get across. So when I was thinking about the design of this, it was it was about the sort of essential elements versus the um, slightly less essential supplemental kinds of things that we still want people to take away. But if they're only going to look at the front side of the handout, what's the most bang for the buck that we want we want them to get? So it was sort of a, a collaborative process of of Tracy really drafting. Here's the main things that we want people to know, and me from the sort of graphic perspective being able to step back and say, okay you know, what would this look like on a on a two-page handout? Which features do we want to um, really draw attention to? Um, and which ones can kind of be a little bit, you know, a, a little bit more secondary? Um, and so it was really a collaborative process, which was which was really fun. Um, I, I mentioned in the first episode that I, I really feel at home doing collaborative stuff. And so this, this process has been really great because it's allowed me to not be the constant uh, content creator in, in a way that's a little new to me. I, I usually am the one who has to create the content. Um, so it's nice to have stuff already created that then I can respond to and adjust as, as necessary um, and kind of bring to life in this in this graphic way that I haven't really done before. So mm. it, it, it's been a really cool and collaborative process. The graphic part is where I like fall into a flow state for sure. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. Like when I first started, so I designed the, the goals and objectives and I... Um, kind of knew what the schedule was of this course and kind of what I was doing. And one Sunday I was like, you know, I really should start kind of messing around with this workbook. And in part it was because I was going to be doing a live session related to the topic um, at a campus, like in, in another month or so. And I was like, oh, well maybe I can redesign some of this and like see if I could use it. Like I could kind of prototype it at this campus, but I really didn't know what it was going to be. And like literally 11 hours later, and like 60 pages of a workbook later, I was like, okay, so this is a thing. I mean, it was like, I <laughs> fell into, I mean, I got up twice to eat, I think, but I was literally in Canva for like 11 hours, like building thing. <laughs> and then I've been like adding, you know, to it over time and whatever. And now it's a 99 pages, um, at least right now. Um, and the design part is so fun. Like, I just mm -hmm. completely just loved it. The whole thing. It doesn't feel like work to me. It's just super yeah, fun. The, for me, that that part was the video process. So um, Tracy and I got together and filmed all three of these. And, and it was a little bit, like, I had an idea in my head of what I wanted it to look like. But we kept kind of playing with it and adding in little portions and that sort of thing. And then I got to the editing phase. And it was a similar sort of thing to what you're talking about, Katie, where I was just like, in the zone in Final Cut Pro and just like, ooh, let's move this here and try this here. And what if we put this graphic here? And what if we do? And, and hours later, I was like, oh, hi, hi world. <laughs> Where were, what, what happened? Was I in a time warp? Right, so right. I definitely know that feeling. <laughs> oh, flow states. Oh, flow states. 
So what other things um, go into this process for you? And, and especially as you're kind of thinking down the line a little bit, um, you know, we're looking at talking about things like, like how to choose your platform um, and, and some of those systems for content creation and that sort of thing. I'm wondering to what degree does the content design really inform that or uh, th- those kinds of things? Or are things like platform choice and the systems, are they informing how the content is designed? Um, or is it a little bit of both? Yeah, uh, well, it's interesting because the thing that like immediately comes to mind to me when you say that is obviously, so what I'm trying to figure out when I'm designing this course is the relationship between the course content, which is like videos and some written text because every video comes with a transcript and, and some supplementary resources that I'm gonna be posting in the course. There's a relationship between that and the workbook and trying to figure out to what degree I wanna reference the workbook in the videos. Uh. And that scares me because um, I don't wanna get too specific so that if I go in and make changes later, it's gonna be such a pain, especially to update the videos. So that's the part that I've really been thinking about carefully in terms of the content design is making sure that I design it in a way that I'm, for example, not referencing the number of the module. Like I'm not saying in module two, we're going to focus on this. I'm just saying in this module, because if I end up making module two, module three later on, because I add another module, um, then I need to not have to go back and re-edit a bunch of videos. Now, speaking, yeah, that's speaking of lessons learned, this is something I learned with the Academic Book Promotion Toolkit because now that I'm <laughs> bundling it and I had I had labeled it as not modules, but chapters because, you know, okay. all the puns. Um, but <laughs> I, I now I'm going back and rebundling it and chapters five, seven, and nine are now one, two, and three in the bundle. So mm. I have to go back into the videos and I'm literally like, microscopically editing out like little phrases where I say in chapter three or in whatever. Um, And I've also had to redo the slides for that because the slides had in like the bottom part of the slide, like a footer that said the chapter number. Uh. So I had to go back through Canva and like re-edit all the slides and like, I mean, it was just a pain in the butt. So for this, I'm like, okay, I want to make sure that you know that this video is referencing certain pages of the workbook, but because the workbook pages are not solidified yet, and I'm not quite sure if I'm adding more content or whatever, you know, like I I don't want to wait. I I want to wait until I'm like not moving things around in the workbook anymore. Um, What I'll probably do is in text form, say this video is referencing pages X to X in your workbook make sure to have it available, you know, as you're watching the video. And then the video is going to reference like certain activities in the workbook, but it's not going to refer to them like by page number. Hmm. Um, so that's, that's, that's something I'm thinking really carefully about in terms of platform and, and content design. I'm also thinking really carefully about consistency with language because Hmm. in the platform, I'm going to be labeling things like course resources or module resources or lesson resources. And as I'm referring to things in the videos, I need to know what is that part of the course called? Is it a section? Is it a module? Is it a lesson? You know, like what exactly is it? Because there ends up being this hierarchy in these master courses that I build where there's like a part. And then within that part, there are sub lessons. And Mm. so there's like different ways, obviously, to label that. So that's the other piece I'm trying to be really careful about is like having consistency with my language so that people aren't like 
what is she talking about when she says part two? Is she referring to lesson two? You know, like I, that, so that's a piece that is actually going to be introduced in the beginning of the course. I always do a video that talks about like course navigation and course features so that people can kind of see how I walk you through. Um, and then I use that language consistently from the very beginning. Um, so those are the kinds of decisions I'm making about my content design that have to do specifically with the platform. I think that's really smart. And I'm really glad that you shared that that little tidbit about <laughs> don't number your stuff right. and refer to <laughs> chapter number two or whatever. Um, that's definitely something I would do. So thanks for sharing well, that with and, me I mean, and our listeners. <laughs> it's, definitely an, it's definitely an evergreen content thing. Yeah. I mean, and it's an online course yeah. design thing. I mean, anyone who designs an online course kind of understands, you know, that, you, that that's stupid to do. So it was stupid for me to do it. But I like to have things like numbered and ordered and, you yep. know, that's just naturally who I am. And I wasn't anticipating bundling this later on. And then I've decided mm. to do it because it, it just like actually works out to bundle it into three different chunks in ways that make sense to me. So, yep. um, and I think that will make sense to my audience too. So I think that that piece is, you know, if, if we're, if people who are listening to this have done online course design, I mean, there's, there's a lot of overlap here in terms of just mm -hmm. thinking about, you know, how you want to design something to be evergreen. Um, but also it allows you to add content later because that's the other piece you never know is mm -hmm. if you get, if you get this out into people's hands and they're like, you keep getting this consistent feedback of, oh, I wish you had X. Mm -hmm. Then depending on how big that X is, you might add a module. Like you might add right. something pretty significant and then you got to figure out where to slot that in. And if it reshuffles everything, like what a pain to have to go back and do all that <laughs> editing. Like you do not want to have to do that. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's a, a great point. And I think also, also raises a, uh, a thing for people to be thinking about when you're designing content, especially in online spaces, when you're not necessarily going to be printing hundreds and hundreds of copies of a thing um, or, you know, something static like a book um, is you always want to be thoughtful about repackaging, right? You're making a thing, but that thing does not have to be static. It can be changeable, especially if we're talking like downloadable bundles and things like that. So you always want to be thoughtful about um, potential changes later on. And, and especially with respect to, you know, if things change in the field or if, you know, somebody comes out with this brand new thing that entirely changes how people think about your topic or whatever, you want to be able to integrate that in, in a way that makes sense and a way that doesn't make a ton of work for you later on. Right. Well, and I think a really good example of this, um, is Paul Jarvis's course on MailChimp. Um, MailChimp completely changed his interface. And Paul Jarvis had a video-based course, and he had to completely redo the whole thing. And he—he—that's just what he does. I mean, he's—he's—he's he's, he's yeah. interested in really helping people with his newsletter stuff, and—and and he knew that as a creator and creating a quality product, it meant that he couldn't just leave all these old videos up there. You know, like he mm -hmm. needed to go in and kind of redo it. So he took the opportunity of that to kind of go in and basically revise all the content in that course. And it probably won't be that drastic, you know, for what you're talking about, but. Even in the academic book promotion toolkit course, I created some video walkthroughs of how to use things like Canva and then Canva changes mm -hmm. interface. So right. do I go back and redo those Canva videos? You know, like the, there's stuff like that that I think you have to be kind of careful about in terms of making intentional choices about mm -hmm. stuff that you don't have control over, you know, in terms of like what you're talking about in these things. Yeah, they could change. And, you know, you're right. going to have to be careful about 
what you include and how time sensitive it is. And again, that's something we think about all the time in course design. If we make a reference to Seinfeld in 10 years, our students are not going to know what that is. I mean, right now they don't know what that is, you know? <laughs> they don't know what it is, right, um, yeah. I, I mean, I, re I still remember so clearly the day that I talked about the O.J. Simpson trial in one of my classes where we were doing some pop culture work and people knew O.J. Simpson as a thief. That's how they knew him. They had no yeah. idea his previous background. And I was like, this is insane. Oh. Like, I cannot. And we had to go into the yeah. whole thing. Anyway, so, you know, like, that, those are the kinds of things you're, you're making the decisions about in terms of, you know, this as well. But I want to know, Sarah, how do you know when you have enough content? Like, when uh. it, like, because this is, I think, something that people really struggle with with content design yeah. is how yeah. do you know when it's done? Or when it's comprehensive yep. enough. Mm -hmm. When it's enough that, that uh, somebody might actually pay for it. Yeah. Right. Or, or um, even like, I mean, yes, I'm so on the monetizing train, but also that I feel like good about it. Like I feel like yeah. settled in that like, okay, yeah. this is a thing and it's, it's complete and holistic and I feel like I'm proud of it. I can put it out there in mm -hmm. a way that people aren't going to be like, well, why didn't you talk about this? Or why didn't you talk about that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think for me, it, it, uh, those those um, questions really stem from this idea of what is it what is the purpose of the thing so when I think about what we want people to use uh, this toolkit for it's for um, you know extending your learning a little bit right it does not it's not supposed to be the comprehensive course on trauma and stress that's not the point right the point is let's give you some tangible strategies that you can use tomorrow in your class if you need to um, it, it's the purpose is let's get you some useful information very, very quickly um, and also give you the opportunity to continue that discussion with uh, your staff or with your other colleagues if you if you choose to do so. So for me, it's more about providing the learning experience that um, that we that we have sought to do um, and providing some flexibility in that. So in this package, we have not only discussion questions about each video, that really ask people to reflect on the different things that they're seeing in the video and how they might apply it to their own situations and things like that. But we also provide um, role play scenarios that that we've created that are kind of little example scenarios of, you know, little Susie does this, what do you do next? Um, so that people can in their staff meetings or in their, you know, with their colleagues kind of walk through and even role play themselves if they want to what that back and forth interaction might might be like. And so we wanted to give people diverse ways to really um, discuss and understand and kind of put their arms around this topic, but not be too prescriptive about it. And so for us, it was providing a few different options for ways to extend the learning, um, but keeping in mind that that the purpose of this was to, um, to kind of be this bite-sized learning thing. You might talk about it in a staff meeting for an hour or something. It's not meant to be a multi-day, fully comprehensive kind of immersive learning experience yet. It might be at some point. Um, and so for us, it was the getting to enough was what would we want an experience like that to, to be like if we were going to be sitting around that staff table? You know, what, what kinds of pieces do we think fit naturally and 
um, what flows well from the videos that we've created. So, you know, we could have put more into it. We could have developed some other pieces to go along with it. We might at some point, but I think for us it was let's provide two or three different ways for people to interact with this in a way that fits the setting, in a way that fits the needs of the audience, in a way that fits the structure that we're trying to provide here. Um, and in a way that fits the, the kind of different learning styles that we're, we're trying to work with. So um, those were sort of, I think, some of the, the things that, you know, we weighed a little bit while we were thinking about which kinds of things um, are we going to put in this and call it good. Um, and, and I think there's more to it. I think there's, there's more we could put into it. Um, but for the moment, that felt like a good balance for us. I like the idea of focusing on the goal. Like, what's the outcome? Yeah. What are you trying to do? And does this do that? I mean, like, it's a, yeah. it's a pretty simple question, like, to come back to. Yeah. Yeah. It, it works pretty well, I think. <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. We haven't launched it yet. <laughs> People might hate it, but um, but I think we're proud. We're proud of it and uh, are excited to see what it does. But I'll turn that question back to you, Katie. How do you know when you're done? I mean, you talked about already about like you had initially plotted out six modules for this thing and then realized, oh, yeah, I should add this extra one. I feel like you could do that ad nauseum potentially. So yeah. how do you kind of decide the cutoff point? You kind of yeah, you could. Well, and also I think as I've been scripting the videos too, like I, my goal was and actually it was through a conversation I had with you, Sarah, where we were like, you know, I need to get this workbook done because if I'm going to be printing this thing and and like prototyping it and figuring all that out, I need to do that first. Like I need to get mm -hmm. I need some run way basically to figure that out and so I was really pushing hard on the workbook but then once I started scripting the videos I've been adding a couple workbook pages you know here and there because mm. it's like oh I didn't you know like I it I I created a um and this is kind of getting into systems uh, and I know we're going to talk about this later but just to give a quick um like snapshot I'm using Airtable at like as a spreadsheet to kind of give me a sense of for each video is there like an accompanying worksheet kind of thing um, that mm. I need to do. And so I have worksheets basically for every video. Um, but some of the worksheets are more than one based on what the video is covering or based on the number of steps in the process to do that particular thing. And I've realized that there are just little gaps here and there about, you know, oh, they really needed to go this extra step. And sometimes mm. it necessitates adding a video as well. Um, and so I think that part of it is like you get your full, as full of a picture as you can, and then as you're working through the other elements of the product, you maybe start to realize, oh, it would be really helpful if I had this other thing. So for me, it's a little bit iter um, iterative and that I'm trying to figure mm. out as I'm going, you know, like what would be the most helpful way to navigate this material. And I'm also trying to anticipate what would people need or what, what questions would they have and how can I like forecast ahead to make sure they have that thing. Um, but I would also say to answer your question, I'm coming at this from two angles in terms of goals. One is the angle of the individual faculty member who, or the individual instructor who wants to create a scholarship of teaching and learning project. How can I walk them through literally from the very beginning to the very end, what you need to do at each stage. But then the other audience I'm looking at is faculty developers who need a product like this to replace their own labor of like mm. running out an institute or running, you know, creating, basically creating this product themselves, you know, like I'm trying yeah. to give them something that they can just like take the whole thing and it covers all their bases. So because of that, I'm, I'm like, that's really where I'm like, like, if you think about it in kind of a, 
a metaphorical way, like if I'm holding this thing in my hands and I'm like turning it around to look at it at all the different angles, there's like, that's what I'm always keeping in mind is, you know, like when I look at it from this angle, how does it look to the faculty member? How does it look to the faculty developer? When I look at it from this other angle, is it still kind of covering all those bases? So it's, that's like more of my concern. But I think with this one in particular, because it is a kind of concrete project that I'm asking people to walk through, there, it, it doesn't feel like to me, there's always one more thing. Um, mm -hmm. Because it's like there are a certain number of steps and I feel like it's, you know, once you hit those steps, then, you know, you're you're hitting on the major stuff um, where I think it gets kind of complicated is and I think the academic book promotion toolkit is a good example of this is like, do I do a demo of Canva? Do I do a demo of iMovie? Do I do a demo of MailChimp? You know, like when you start to build right. in all the tools and tactics then you start to get, you know, and, and, and a good example, I guess, for this course would be when I have a, I have a module basically talking about um, research design and I walk through different examples of qualitative designs, quantitative designs, mixed methods designs. I talk about design-based research. I talk about um, decoding the disciplines, like some of the major kind of subgroup areas of SOTL um, research methods. And I had to decide how many examples am I going to offer for each one? And what I landed on was, I think I'm going to offer three examples for each area because I'm trying to hit a range of different disciplines. I'm trying to show the range of different kinds of project designs that people can do and still have it fall into this total category. So because of that, you know, like I could do five examples, I could do 10 examples, but I felt like, no, you know, like three shows you a range and maybe I, that's an area of the course where I add more over time as people are like, can mm. you show an example of this? Then yeah, maybe I could, you know, like, I, and that might be an area where I kind of build out the course, but I'm also going to be offering some resource guides broken out by discipline and broken out by methodology. So that if you're looking for a SOTL project that uses grounded theory, well, here's some examples of that. Or if you're looking for a SOTL project, that's an experimental design, Here's some examples of that. If you're looking for history social projects with a range of different methodologies, here's some history projects. So like it's it's kind of thinking about not just what's going to be happening in the videos, but like what are some of the other resources I'm going to be providing that would make that feel kind of complete for people? Because mm -hmm. I know those are the things they want. You know, like I know right. that people want to see examples in their own disciplines. Now, am I going to build like a database that's searchable and you can click around and whatever? <laughs> no, like I don't have the expertise no. <laughs> for that. It would take forever. I just built a database at my work with Oregon State eCampus and it took us forever. And I had a web team helping me. So I know what it takes, you know, to do that. Um, or maybe I know what I don't know about what it takes. And so I know I can't do it by myself. But that's kind of where the limits are for me is like trying to really anticipate what people are going to need. And then how can, I, how can I provide that? You know, like, how can I make this a really solid product? Yeah, it's sort of the question of how far down the rabbit hole do you want to take people? Yeah. <laughs> and which rabbit hole? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying that it, it, you can kind of drive yourself crazy if you think like, okay, well, I should show this example and this example and this example and this example. And yeah, it's it's a little bit of a guessing game, especially at first. But I, I like what you said there about kind of listening to your audience as they interact with it over the next, you know, couple of years. And if they're like, I really want an example of X, you know, you can come back to that if you decide to and flesh that out a little bit more um, if you if you decide to go that direction. Well, and I think this also goes back to this idea of your expertise. Like there's a lot mm -hmm. of stuff related to this topic that I just know and have examples of. 
So the more expert you are, the easier it's going to be to build out something that it's like, well, it's not that difficult for me to write out an example of X thing because I've done it, you know, 14 times before Um, or to find an article that's related to that or whatever it might be. So, I mean, I think that that's the other piece to keep in mind is if you've chosen something that you're truly an expert in, it might take time to develop those things, but you probably know what they are. And you Mm -hmm. probably have a good sense of what it is your audience is going to need. But I mean, I think the other piece for me, too, with this particular um, product is I do feel some sense of kind of responsibility that I'm not leaving out things that I think are like really important. Um, Mm -hmm. And that if I'm kind of marketing this and and actually, I think that this is where you were leading with some of your your um, statements earlier about like what the goal of your product is. Not to get too far ahead of ourselves, because we're definitely going to talk about this later in the season, but it's a marketing issue as well. Like if you're, I'm not marketing this as a master course in research methods and design. Like that's Mm -hmm. not what it is, but it has to cover that because that's a big part of doing a SOTL project. In the same way, you're not marketing your, your kind of mini courses or mini bundles as like a master course in this Mm -hmm. particular topic. You're saying this is a kind of just-in-time thing that you can immediately apply. So, yeah. and I'm saying this is a comprehensive step-by-step guide to designing and implementing a SOTL project. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that that where you draw those boundaries is a very helpful indication of how you should be marketing the course or the product or the thing. Well, and also that marketing informs how the course is designed in some ways, right? The the language that you're going to use to market it might influence the language that you use in the content as well. You want to make sure that some of that mirrors, you know, that they mirror each other. So I think thinking about marketing and and especially audience, but also how are you going to present this can be a really helpful um, sort of filter or lens through which to look at your content design. Because, you know, if you want to be able to say this is a comprehensive course on, you know, X, Y, Z topic, then then you better make sure it's a comprehensive right. course on X, Y, Z topic. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. And I mean, the thing that you don't want to have happen is to create a product that isn't what you say it is, you know. Right. And so that's the part that I'm really thinking about when I'm thinking about how much is enough is if I was to buy this, if I were to buy this product from someone, mm-hmm. would I feel like this mm-hmm. was enough? Like, and especially at the pricing I'm charging for this product for institutions, mm-hmm. this better be a comprehensive guide, you know, like this yeah. is not something yeah. where they're paying me like 30 bucks, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, that's something else I want to be thinking about is just like, do I feel like it deserves the pricing model that I've created? Mm-hmm. And can people see that a lot of work and time went into this? And Right. Um, the other thing too, that I think is kind of interesting, and this might be like the last thing I want to say on this topic is there's, if you are the person creating this product and you are meant to be the person that's creating this product, like there's a convergence of your past experience, your expertise, whatever it might be that is like making you the person to do this. Think about what that is that you can infuse into the product that someone else Mm -hmm. wouldn't be able to give. Like, what is it that you can provide that no one else can provide? And for me, I feel like I have this interesting convergence between the teaching and learning side and the research methods and design side. And it's not that no one else has that, but no one else has put it into a course format before. Not that I can find, you know, like, so the fact that I have a course design background, that I'm entrepreneurial, that I have a little bit of a design sense because I'm building out this workbook. You know, like there's just a convergence of things that's allowing me to create this product in a way that I think it's going to be really unique. 
Mm-hmm. That's great advice. I I feel the same way about um, the video side of things, especially within this this uh, bundle that we're building. That um, that other people aren't doing video this way with this particular topic and audience in mind, and so it is kind of m- my niche as much as you know we've talked about in previous seasons of Academic Gig, especially with the how to how to be everything episode that. Uh, you know, you and I might might kind of push against the idea of having a particular niche that we fit into. I think in this case, um, we do. Each of us has has that kind of niche. And I would argue that all of our listeners probably do, too. So um, thinking about what is the unique offering that, that I bring to the table here um, and, and how can I kind of amplify that through this this thing that I'm building? Um, those Those are great questions to keep in mind as you're doing this content design. Well, Sarah, I like cannot wait to see how this turns out for both of us because <laughs> we're like right <laughs> in the middle, either. you know, I mean, like yeah, even talking yeah. about it, I'm like getting, I mean, I, I hope that our audience finds this as interesting as we do, because certainly like we're, <laughs> so we're kind of like, you know, you know, flying by the seat of our pants in some way, you know, with these projects. Yeah. I mean, certainly they're informed by what we know about our audience, what we know about our topics, but I think you can hear like we're figuring it out as we go, you know, and mm-hmm. trying to decide what's the best way to do these things. So um, I'm just excited to see where it goes. Yeah, me too. I hope people come back and listen. I know. I hope it's useful to our I, listeners too. I, <laughs> I feel like I would have found this useful at a certain point. So, you know, maybe. When, when I've heard other people do this, and I mentioned in episode one, you know, Paul Jarvis and um, Jason Zuck doing this for their software product, I was like, fascinated i mean i just like binge Mm. listened to the entire season because it was so interesting (laughs) which again we can link to in the show notes but um so hang around if you're interested in this we're going to get into talking about platform choices um getting more into the aesthetic design and branding options for both of our products um getting deep into video creation um and talking about all the things related to the systems we're creating, our pricing, how we're packaging these things, and how we're marketing them. So still a lot to come in the season. Woohoo! I'm excited to talk more. Me too. About all of the things. Me too. About building a thing. (laughs) Yay for building a thing. Yay! Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of Make Your Way. Show notes and a transcript for this episode can be found at katielinder.work slash podcasts. Make Your Way is part of the Radical Self-Trust podcast channel, a collection of content dedicated to helping you seek self-knowledge, nurture your superpowers, playfully experiment, live your core values with intention, practice loving kindness toward yourself and others, and settle into your life's purpose. Learn more about the RST channel at katielinder.work slash podcasts. If you found this episode helpful, please also consider rating and or reviewing the show in iTunes. Thanks for listening.